Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and I got to tell you, one of the things that I absolutely know is that this kind of epidemic, sexual addiction and partner betrayal, doesn't have... Um, a school that you can go to to figure out what do I do. You can't go to a hospital and say, fix me. Instead, you've got to go to the specialists. And the specialists are certified sexual addiction therapists and partner trauma specialists. And if you don't go to those people, i got to tell you, I am not tooting my own horn, but you just don't know what you'll get. You know, if a woman who has been betrayed by a a sex addict over and over again goes to a marital therapist, she might hear, get over the past and get on with the future and work out of it. She doesn't know about trauma. The therapist knows nothing about trauma. The therapist doesn't know about how to deal with triggers. And that just can be very, very, very confusing. Same thing with a sex addict. A sex addict says, you know, I just keep cheating on my wife. I go to massage parlors. I go to Craigslist. I go to um, prostitutes. um, And that person may look at him or her and say, you know what? Get to know yourself better. You can stop this behavior with more willpower if you get in touch with your morals. And it's not about morals, and it's not about willpower. It's about putting together a treatment plan that really works. And tonight I'm excited to say that I've got um, 
a man who has worked a great program and wants to share that with you. He wants to share his fire drill. He wants to share his personal craziness index. He wants to share his recovery zone worksheet that helps him to stay accountable to himself, to his wife, and so that his therapist will know exactly what he is doing. And so this is a great show to figure out what do you need to do to fine-tune the kind of recovery it's going to take to actually be successful in this field. And I'm here to tell you, you can't just figure that out on your own. You either have to go to treatment, that's what this man did, or you have to see a therapist who knows what these techniques and strategies and tools are, well, you have to do a heck of a lot of reading. This all is available in reading. There is no doubt about it. But we're going to bring it to you tonight because we know you're tired of trying the same old things and not getting anywhere. And so Bill, who has really worked a great program, wants to share that with you. And I, I feel so fortunate that, you know, you can get that kind of information from him. And in the meantime, I did a survey of the sex addicts I worked with, and I said three things. I said, hey, when's the last time you had sex with your wife or partner? When's the last time that you had an opportunity to talk about sex? with your wife or your partner. And it's interesting. They had a date immediately of how many days, weeks, or months had occurred since they had shared their um, last sexual experience. But they couldn't really talk about what it was and when it was that they had talked with their partner about sex. And so, of course, I want to say to you, you know what? It is not uncommon to be afraid to talk about sex. I mean, normal people have difficulty doing that. They really do. And then if you set things up in a way whereby you know you need to talk to your partner, but your shame and your pain keeps you from doing that, wow. Oftentimes that will end up in avoidance. And when you avoid, you don't deal with the issues. It may be safer, but it's not proactive. And I'm here to tell you that part of your recovery means you at least got to be proactive. Now, I hope you have somebody who is in your corner, who understands you, and who's willing to either work with you to make things better 
with your wife or your husband, your family, whatever your social support system is, or I hope that you have a good sponsor, a great fellowship that can kind of share with you their experiences. Because if you're isolated and all by yourself, you're probably not going to get healthier. And you know, what I know to be true is that that isolation is what got you really ingrained in your sexual addiction as we speak. Now, sex addiction is something that truly needs to be managed. And there's no reason for you to reinvent the wheel. There are certainly lots of tools that will help you get healthy. But along with the tools, you need to be able to have the courage to talk about things and to know how to handle certain reactions you may get from loved ones. And, wow, that can be really, really tough. And I say that because, you know, if somebody attacks you or they um, challenge whether you're really on track, it can feel easier just to shut down. And you don't want to do that. You want to share what's going on for you. So now let's go back to sex. You know, it may be that you've been sexually avoidant because you did not want to deal with rejection. And I was explaining today that when you are studying brain science of sexual addiction or partner trauma, you'll find that your trauma, whether that occurred early on in your life or if you're an addict, or if it occurred as a partner when you incurred discovery, or if you're an addict and you watched your partner freak out about the discovery, understandably, that trauma immediately occurs in the amygdala. And if you listen to our podcast a couple of weeks ago, the amygdala is that part of your brain that goes into freeze, flight, or fright. And when it's fright, it's oftentimes fight. So you either don't do anything, that's freeze, fight, which means you attack physically or emotionally or verbally, Or you flee. You avoid and get out of the situation. After that has settled, one of the things that happens is you more than likely feel rejection. You know, if you're an addict, you more than likely had to deal with a partner who said, you're a bastard, you're an ass, I hate you, get away from me, you've hurt me. And when you experience those things, definitely 
that walnut-sized part of your brain, the insula cingulate, is the part that actually captures the rejection, and that rejection permeates the rest of your thinking. You go, I'm not good enough. I've hurt her or him. Um, They've rejected me. I'm never going to be able to keep them. And when that occurs, that prefrontal cortex that typically is able to make rational decisions goes offline. You're not able to know what to do. You're not able to know what to do to make it better. And so it keeps you from being able to function rationally. Now, this happens to addicts who have either been discovered or they've decided to disclose information. And it happens to partners when they find out about the infidelity, about the betrayal. Same thing. Their amygdala gets activated. They go into freeze, fight, or flight. Then it registers in the insula cingulate as rejection. They wonder, what's wrong with me? Why did he do this? I'm not good enough. And then their prefrontal cortex just goes offline. They can't talk. They can't rationalize. They can't reason. They are a mess. And wow, when this happens, you got two people that are highly traumatized that are trying to reassure, and they're unable to do it. And that's why you have that perfect storm, that perfect storm whereby you really need a professional who knows how to help you get back online, no matter whether you're the addict or the partner, get into some recovery tools that make a difference, help you process the trauma, the hurt, the pain, and the shame, and help you to sign on healthy boundaries that give you some time to figure out what you can do to stabilize, to get safe, and to work on the relationship. And that's what this show is all about. That's what we're here for, to help you maintain your relationships. And if you're an addict and, you know, you don't have anybody in your life, I know it's a lot harder for you because there is an incentive to having somebody that you love, that loves you, that wants you to get healthy. But that's what the fellowship is all about. If you're an addict and you don't have anybody, engulf yourself in 12-step fellowship. Engulf yourself in reading. Get yourself to a treatment center. Become part of a family and create what I call a family of choice. Because when you create a family of choice, you make a difference. You are able to begin to develop the kind of relationship building necessary that develops intimacy and takes your life to the next level. Because really, the antidote to sexual addiction is connection. If you've got somebody that you love, that's a great connection. If you don't, then you create a family of choice whereby you can prove to them that you're working hard, connect with them, and really live your best life. 
And that's what Bill's going to be talking about today. Uh, He has been willing to share his success, his ability to work a program that has tools that help him stay accountable to the recovery process. And that's what life's all about when you're an addict. It's about holding yourself accountable until you do the right thing over and over and over and over again until it becomes your way of life. And you no longer have to work for it. It works for you. So, Bill, welcome to the Sex Help with Carol the Coach Show. Hi, Carol. Hello there. I, You know, I'm so grateful that you're willing to share some of the tools that you learned in your extensive treatment. And so I thought, would you share a little bit about yourself and your journey through this um, horrible ordeal of sexual addiction? Sure. So um, I discovered probably oh, I don't know, it's been less than a year ago that I was really a sex addict. Um, I didn't really know that beforehand, um, but my wife discovered my activities, um, and through a course of actions and through her investigations and through some questions, I kind of learned that I, uh, in fact, am. And um, so, unfortunately, at first, I really didn't take my recovery as seriously as I needed to, Um and so through a series of events, including a, a, failed, discover, or a failed disclosure, um, decided it was time for me to go to an inpatient because in order for me to really feel better about me, um, I had to take it seriously. And so I went to a, a 45-day inpatient, um, and it took me a few weeks there uh, to really kind of get in tune with um, the fact that I did have a problem and that that recovery could really work for me. Um, Some of what really worked well was, um, and it's something that I've kind of of adopted in the daily life, is they have us do a daily check-in sheet. And so the daily check-in sheet does a number of different things. So it looks at kind of how are you feeling today and what kind of anxiety might you have, what kinds of things are driving that, Um, Are you doing, you know, am I doing the kinds of things that I need to do on a day-to-day basis for me to feel better about me? Um, And so that's, that's kind of, I've I've managed to adopt that in such a way that it's just become part of my daily routine. Right. And you actually share with your wife online. She can see what you're doing every minute, every hour of the day. That's right. So um, I have monitoring software on all my electronics, but more importantly, what I've done is I've taken that daily check-in sheet and I converted it into an Excel file. And so instead of one a day, I essentially have a file a week, but I've broken it down um, so that every night I fill it in, it's stored on a cloud drive. Um, I've granted her access to that cloud drive. Um, and at first it was kind of funny. I, um, I was so used to filling this in every day I forgot about putting the scales. Um, so some of the numbers are zero to 10, some of the numbers are zero to five, some are yes, no. Um, and so I, I coded all that into the sheet, but I didn't put the scale, I didn't put the scores on the sheet itself. Um, and so at first, her, her first question was, well, what are you really telling me? Um, but what's happened over time is as we've done that, she's 
uh, learn to ask. So, for example, there was a day, one of the things is self-honesty, and it's a zero to five scale. Zero means you haven't been honest at all, and five means you've been uh, dutifully honest. And I put down a four. And so she texted me that night and said, what's up with the four? And I explained um, I had a situation at work. Um, in order to kind of get out of a situation, I told a little white lie um, to kind of make an excuse and not hurt anybody's feelings and yet get out of a situation. And so I graded myself a four for the day. Um, I kind of think about it like a golfer playing golf. You know, if you, if you, your best bag in the pencil, your best bag, best club in the bag might be your, um, might be your pencil, but all you're doing is cheating yourself. And so she asked me about it. I told her and she went, Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. I get it. Um, and she's also asked about some of the other emotional, uh, emotional scores that I'll give myself. Um, or the, the eight emotions you kind of, they're all eight are listed and you, what are your top three for the day? And then kind of what are the numbers one to five of how you're feeling about each one? And they do shift from day to day. Um, whether you're, whether I'm feeling sad or whether I'm having pain or whether I'm having a particular joyful or passionate day. So those kinds of things really help me deal with myself on a daily basis and help me think about how do I feel. Um, but more importantly, they let her know she can look every night. I, I literally fill it out within an hour before bedtime and, you know, put in there just exactly what's going on. Um, and it's, it's a way to, to let both of us know. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. I kind of really do it for myself. Um, but that's how I track my recovery. Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. And it gives her something that she knows she can count on right before bedtime to check. And so is that bedtime, did you pick that time because you knew it was the end of the day and you could really give it your full attention? Yeah, I actually, it's funny. Um, and at the inpatient, they really want us to do it first thing in the morning for the previous 24 hours. But I discovered after I go to sleep, when I wake up in the morning, my memory of the day before is a little bit fuzzy. So I decided I started doing it in inpatient right at bedtime, thinking about that full day, because that full day is really fresh in my mind. And so it just makes a convenient time to do it. And then if it takes me a few extra minutes, it's no big deal. In the morning, I find myself, um, I found myself there kind of rushing to go to the first, the first session in real life, I find myself rushing to go to work. Rushing is not the time to do that. Um, it, it, I actually do take a little bit more time to, to, to really query myself, you know, how am I feeling? Um, did I have my, my breakfast in the first half hour of the morning? Um, did I do my daily meditation? Did I get my full meditation in? Um, you know, how am I feeling about the day before I go to sleep? Because I've found that that uh, a night's sleep can change how I feel. Absolutely. So now let's just kind of talk about this. First of all, what is it that you track? So I track a number of different things. So the first one is kind of, a, for lack of a better term, it's a self-harm. Um, I, as, as part of the discovery um, that my wife had um, with me last year, I did have a suicide attempt. Um, and one of the things that obviously is tracked during inpatient is, do you have any feelings of hurting yourself? Do you have any feelings of hurting others? Um, 
And so I do track that. And so far, thankfully, those have been zeros. But you do also track anxiety and depression. Um, and so I track that. Um, I track whether or not I've done a daily meditation. I track whether or not I've done daily affirmations. So have I told myself something positive about myself? Um, have I done a daily gratitude? Have I thought about all the things I'm, or, or something that I'm thankful for? Um, and then I, I track what's called a personal craziness index or a PCI. Because one of the things that I discovered during my impatient stay is that I tend to act out in times of chaos. So when things are really crazy, when I'm really kind of looking for something to soothe or salve myself, that happens in a, in a chaotic time. And so um, Dr. Carnes actually covers this in his Facing the Shadow book, um, and, and that's something that we used in the inpatient. But you put down seven factors, um, and they're pretty constant day to day. But they're things that, that are leading indicators. Um, actually, for me, they're things kind of out of – they're related to things in my middle circle, and they're related to, to things I don't do in my outer circle. So if I don't uh -huh. do a daily meditation, that's a, that's a craziness indicator. If, I ha if I'm feeling rushed, that's a craziness indicator. If I find myself withdrawing or isolating, that's a craziness indicator. And so um, – Part of what's in that middle circle is if that score is greater than a four on a given day, that's a red flag. If that score is greater than a 14 for a week, that's a red flag. Um, and so by tracking that, um, I see what it is and she sees what it is. And then I also have that, since it's on a spreadsheet and it's a week-to-week -week basis, um, I kind of keep a running tally of, uh, you know, what is that weekly score? Is there something I really need to think about in that week? Um, then the other things are those uh, I mentioned earlier, those, those eight kind of prime emotions, anger, fear, pain, shame, guilt, love, passion, joy. If I'm – and the, the really scary ones there for me are shame and guilt. Um, if I'm really feeling those, then I have to think about why am I feeling those and what's going on with me. Um, and if I have things around when my fear or my pain go up, why are they going up? Is that self-reflective? Is that something going on in the world around me? What's driving me to have that feeling? Um, and then, you know, you can kind of see the trend over the week. How am I doing? Um, and in my particular case, I kind of almost have a baseline, and that's a one to five scale, five meaning it's just constant throughout the day and it's really bothering me. Um, or in the case of love or joy, it's just kind of I'm basking in it. Um, I tend not to have the zeros or fives. Um, but that's been another one where um, she can look at those scores and then ask me, hey, I noticed yesterday that, you know, pain was a one. Today it's a three. What happened? Um, and we can talk about it. And, and that, that talking about it makes a big difference. It also kind of lets me relate to myself and kind of, reflect within, why am I feeling that way? And is it just a circumstance or is there something I need to work on or kind of what's going on with me? Well, absolutely. And I love the fact that you do the gratitude piece because, you know, Bill, one of the things that I really believe is that if you want to find true, genuine happiness, you have to do three things. You have to stay in the moment and that's always good. 
two, you have to have gratitude. You have to look at what's working because there's plenty of things for any of us that that isn't working. And if you stay focused on that, you don't have the momentum or the energy to stay focused on what you do need to change. So if you stay abreast of what is actually providing you happiness, you're going to have better energy. And then the last thing I always talk about is that I really believe in reframing. And reframing is after you've gone through an ordeal, a tough situation, that might be a discovery with your wife or husband, that might be a treatment center, that might be being kicked out on the streets, you have to say to yourself, okay, now, how did I grow stronger and what did I have to learn from it? And in some ways, when you have that kind of mental attitude and you combine it with these tracking tools, I mean, it's almost a recipe for success because you're always holding yourself accountable and you've got the right attitude. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, one of the things that that uh, that the day started with an impatient was a daily meditation. And so there was a reading from a book and I, I've supplemented that with things outside. Um, mm-hmm. But then we went around and this was something that us as the peers did, the staff didn't, the staff didn't initiate this. We went around and we gave ourselves an affirmation. We gave ourselves a gratitude. And then what did we get it dedicating the day to? And it is such positive energy. Um, and one of the things my wife is a big believer in, and I've come to her point of view, positive energy begets positive energy, and negative energy begets negative energy. And so the more I think about, you know, there are, even on my worst days, I'm a, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Um, I've got uh, wonderful friends. I've got a wonderful support network. Um, you know, I've got, I've got just tons of things to be thankful for. And, yes, I could focus on the negative. I could focus on the fact that I've made a lot of mistakes. But that's yesterday. Those mistakes are done. My positives are still there. And so um, I completely agree with you. I think about, um, you know, the fact that I can look at that. And that's the other thing that's nice. When I look at that and I pull that up every day, um, it's just a little positive reminder. And it's also something, because I do it at bedtime, it, it helps me in terms of positive dreams. It helps me in terms of thinking positively before I go to sleep. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, and a good night's sleep leads to a good morning. Uh, it just kind of builds on itself. Absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of the law of attraction. That's a metaphysics rule that says if you go to bed thinking about things that you've accomplished or things that you want to accomplish, you are much more likely to make that happen. So I love the fact that you also know that that's embedded into your unconscious, which then takes you to that next level the next day. Yeah, it really does. Um, And and this particular week, uh, by happenstance, um, I've got my dog with me this week. And so one of the things that I'm grateful for every day um, is that, you know, crazy little puppy decides to sleep at daddy's feet. Um, and it, and there's just something therapeutic about petting the dog and having the dog's love there. So while everybody else is away um, on spring break, I've got this, you know, wonderful little companion who just doesn't know any better. Um, and it's just wonderful to have that, 
to have that with me. And I've still got my friends and I've still got all the other things going on with me as well. But just, you know, to have, just, just think about the positive side of that, not, hey, all my family's gone on spring break while I'm working, but yeah, they're gone. They're having a great time. That's awesome. And I've got this wonderful puppy who's given me all this love and attention. Um, you know, he doesn't care. So, um, and also just the therapeutic, the therapeutic petting of them and having that every night. And it's one of the things that kind of carried me through my inpatient every morning when they took my blood pressure, I had this mental picture of puppy at my feet. Um, and that, that was something that kind of the daily meditation reinforced was I, you know, just thought had these wonderful thoughts. Um, and that uh-huh. helped. Well, no kidding. We all need that unconditional love. And, you know, we can get that through a kid. We can get that through our animals. I mean, it sounds like you found that formula and you're taking care of your dog this week. Now, let me ask you, um, obviously you've worked really hard at putting these scales together. I mean, you use Google.com. And tell me a little bit about how you constructed these tools and, you know, maybe how could somebody possibly see what they look like? Sure. So, um I've got an email address, um, billw.recovery at gmail.com, um, and it's just okay. an Excel sheet. So what I basically did was I took, the, I took the daily worksheet when I left. I took a copy with me, um, and I just kind of laid it all out in an Excel format, and then I laid it out so that um, kind of down the, down the left side of the page are the different factors, and then kind of across the top in rows are the days of the week. Um, and then I just make a new copy every week. I just, you know, I do a file save as, and on I go. Um, it was actually, you know, I didn't, it's a two-sided sheet um, in inpatient. Some of the backside is, you know, kind of what books are you reading and things like that. That really wasn't as helpful for me. I did put down one of the other things, though, is, um, you know, as someone in a recovery program, obviously I have a lot of peers um, and a lot of people that I'm in programs or I go to meetings with. And one of the other things I do have on there is, am I texting or calling a peer a day? And so one of the mm. things I have on there is, who's my, who's my most helpful person on that particular day? Um, you know, we also have a group text for some of us. Um, and that's another thing that, A, makes me think about something to really be thankful for. I've got a peer that's really there to help me you know, or that I'm there to help. Um, sometimes it's, it's as helpful to help someone else as it is to get help. Um, so that's something that's on there, but yeah, I just, uh, then the other one I took, um, I took a, actually it was one of my wife's vacation planners. Um, and I made that my meeting tracker. So instead of tracking vacation days, I put down what meetings I've gone to that day. Um, one of the other things that I, I really wasn't bought into at first was the idea of 90 meetings in 90 days. And it's not that I'm going necessarily to a meeting a day, but there are days if I miss, I'm going to two the day before or the day after. Um, and this lets me know kind of how meeting meetings have I been to, which meetings are they, the ones that I see on there over and over, I know are the ones that are kind of better for me. Um, I'm a bit remote, so having dial-in or online or text meetings really helps. Um, and so I can look back at that. The other thing is it does is I also share that with my wife so she can see Yes, I went to a meeting. This is the meeting I went to. She can look on the site and see, yes, this is the meeting it is. Yes, it actually really did happen. 
um, you know, one of the things that as an addict, obviously broke a lot of trust. And so um, just giving her one more thing that says, yes, I actually did do this. It's not, I'm not just making it up. Um, and if she wants to dial into that meeting, she's welcome to. Um, so that, that's another thing that I've done. And I can, I can make those available uh, via that email address. Okay. And again, that email address is Bill W. Repeat that again. Bill W. Sure. Bill W. Dot recovery at gmail.com. Okay. Bill W. Recovery at gmail.com. And that's Bill W. Dot recovery at gmail.com. Okay. Correct. Well, that is kind of you to be willing to pass that on because I know it's so important for, you know, people to actually get to see what some of these tools are like. And I've got some of them on my website, but not all of them. So I appreciate you paying it forward. That's part of that 12-step work. You know, it's interesting because when somebody really understands that they want recovery, the first thing they do is they go after it with a vengeance. Then the transformation occurs, and then they give it back. That is what you have done. Well, thank you. Um, certainly part of my intent. And uh, that was one of the things that happened as well kind of during my inpatient stay. Like I said, when I first started, I, um, I wasn't necessarily the best peer. Um, but by the end, one of the things I took just a ton, I, I actually, uh, I'll probably start to cry just thinking about it. But at my graduation, um, I had four or five out of 20 peers say to me that I showed them how to be a peer, that I showed them, um, you know, how to embrace a program. Right. And, uh, and so, and, uh, sorry, it's, it's, it's that's choking when you me up give and, and you get back. Yeah, and I, you know, I get I get so much more from giving than I do from getting. Um, it's like a kid at Christmas when you're when you're a parent at Christmas, you you just enjoy watching the kids open their gifts. It's kind of the same thing. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a few more things about this because obviously, again. You know, you explained the tracking, and, and and you explained that you have this personal craziness index. And one of the things that you had shared with me earlier, Bill, is that you really felt like um, you were more susceptible or vulnerable to acting out or to not being as diligent if there was a bunch of craziness around you if your car wasn't cleaned, if your house was a clutter. Give us some examples of things that actually work against you that this personal craziness index helps mark for you. I'll tell you the biggest one is um, probably uh, traffic issues, road rage. Um, and, and it's funny, I mean, when I look back now, it's just so silly. Um particularly in the, in the town where I'm at, but it's an indicator that I'm not thinking squarely, that I'm not, that I'm not focused on important things. Um, but I've had this where 
you know, I get caught in traffic and I get frustrated and I'm in a hurry and I'm feeling rushed and I can't get enough done. And in my, you know, kind of pre-recovery, that would be a, you know, I deserve better. I deserve something else. I deserve this, this kind of this um, impaired thinking of, you know, um, I've been cheated by this traffic. I've been cheated by this rushedness, um, whatever that, that kind of that impaired par- process is. But for me, it's uh, particularly the, the, the craziness index I use on that is uh, the impairedness or the, uh, the, the traffic. Another one that relates to that is that feeling isolated um, or withdrawing. I'm kind of the only one who can understand me. I'm the only one who deals with these kinds of issues. And so I will tend to withdraw from other people. I can, isolate it up. I can isolate it in a crowded auditorium. And when I start to feel myself do that, then I feel like I need to reward myself or I need to recognize myself. And that's when kind of bad things tend to happen. And so um, as, I've, as I think about that every night when I fill that out, um, and it's funny, I actually think about it during the day now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll start to have something. Um, I've got a situation right now at work that is causing me a great deal of angst. Um, in my old life, I would have kind of, I would have really just dwelled on it. I would have pulled myself away and isolated and thought, you know, what can I do to fix this? I dwell on it and I would just kind of drive myself crazy. And then it would be, okay, I need an escape. I need to reward myself for solving this, or I need, you know, I need some kind of something. And that would lead to some kind of acting out. When I sit back and think about it, and I, and I really focus on me, and I focus on, okay, this is just a work problem. This is just somebody in traffic. This is just, you know, it's, it's, it's the the just. I've got all these other things going on. Why in the world am I worried about do I get somewhere 30 seconds or a minute sooner? Um, why am I worried about that? Um, it, it, it really kind of pulls, pulls my head up to the big picture instead of the small details. So that's, that's probably the biggest one in terms of the craziness index. The other ones are my daily meditation. That's another huge one for me. That daily meditation is a time when I really um, I use some of the the, the techniques of really kind of getting in touch with myself. One of the things that I found during my inpatient was I was able to find kind of my inner child, the, the inner little boy who didn't get all the things he really wanted or thought he needed. And so now I'm, I'm in constant contact. And on days when I don't do that, I feel like I'm missing something. And so that's a craziness thing. And so one of the other things I will tend to do, and I've, it's, if I haven't had that daily meditation at the time I'm going to bed, I'll take 10 minutes and do a daily meditation. Not because I don't want to put it down, I didn't do a daily meditation, but it's important to me that I do that, that I get in touch with myself, and that I have that, that I allow myself that feeling time. Um, because otherwise, I do tend to spin out of control. And, and that's all up to me. That's not up to anybody else. So, um, but that, that's some of the important stuff about what I track in that craziness index. And there, there, 
the examples that people will use for each other are very, very different. It's very based on kind of what, you know, what makes you feel um, spinning out of control or what are things that, you know, you don't like to have happen that you do have some control of. It. Um, you know, I can't control what happens, but I can't control how I react. And so it's really about measuring those things where I have an opportunity to react. And am I reacting in the in a positive way or am I reacting in a negative way? And so let me ask you, Bill, when prior to going to treatment and really understanding how these tools could help you, on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being, oh, I was 100% transparent and honest with my wife, and 1 being not at all, I was still fooling, lying, lying by omission, what number would you have given yourself before you left for your treatment center? Oh, probably a one or a two. Um, okay, and you I say a one. Lying to her. I was, yeah, I mean, I was lying to her and I was lying to myself. Um, particularly on something like a road rage. I, oh, no, 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 I didn't, you know, I had something happen, but that happened to the guy next to me. Um, and it really happened to me. Um, you know, oh, did and I then, get breakfast? Yeah, I got I got I got breakfast, you know, but and in fact breakfast was at lunch. Well, and then you realize that when you lie about the little things, taking out the trash, road rage, what time you got up in the morning, that all those things chip away at your recovery. So what grade would you give yourself now since you are absolutely a work in progress? Um, I give myself a nine. Um, I, I'd say I'm not perfect. Um, I still have to think about, it. like I said, when I do a, I'll do a, I'll do a meditation, maybe right before bedtime. And if you look at the score sheet, you don't know if I did it at, at nine fifty nine in the evening or at seven fifty eight in the morning. Um, but I do kind of, I do tell on myself because um, no one can deal with it. Um, if I don't, it, it's really more about it's really more about me being honest with myself. Um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I won't claim to be perfect. I won't claim a ten, um, but it's it's a nine. I mean, I I put down how I'm really feeling, and I will. The other thing that I'll do now that I wouldn't have done before is when I fill that out, I will sit with my feet squarely on the floor in a comfy chair with my hands on arms of the chair on my knees and take a few deep breaths and think, how am I really feeling today? And I'll do kind of a little personal inventory. Um, and, and that's really, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll think, or I'll kind of, kind of do this body scan. Am I feeling any pain anywhere? Am I, you know, how did my day really go? Um, and and so it's enabled me to be much more honest with myself. And so when you do that body scan and when you say to yourself, okay, I need to be real, I need to be authentic, and I need to be transparent, how do you end up feeling about yourself? Um, you know, it depends on the day. Um so I have some days. So right now I'm I'm my my wife and I are living apart, and I'm um, 
I'm house sitting in my own house this week. And that started Saturday. And it's actually a little bit painful, and I didn't plan for it to be painful. So if you look at my Friday score from last week, my pain was like a one. Um, On Saturday, it was a three. My sad went from a one to a three. Um, My anxiety went from a one to a two. Um, And it's just, you know, my, and my passion also went up. Um, My joy went down a little bit. My love went up a bit. It, It just, it's very, very day to day, and I haven't done it for this evening yet, and I don't know yet know what the what I'm going to score myself because um, I had a kind of an up and down day, um, but it has made me more much more inner reflective, and I will sit and kind of really clue myself in what am I feeling, not what am I thinking, but what am I feeling. Well, and I like that because I'm a big believer in there are five primary feelings, anger, sadness, loneliness, fear, and happiness, and then two for addicts in addition, which are shame um, and guilt. And so I would think that if you're not 100% transparent or honest with your wife, that would produce a variety or a myriad of feelings. And so... You said right now you're separated, and yet you seem to have um, a positive lilt to your voice. Tell me how you have reframed that separation so that you actually feel good about it and maybe surrender that to your higher power. Sure. Um, so the reason I actually have a positive, uh, a positive outlook is um, because – of sharing all these things um, because she has, she's experiencing the evidence. She's not seeing it. She's not hearing it. She's experiencing it. And because um, we have had um, um, because we have had this, this kind of ongoing evening conversation, um, that um, the trajectory um, is a positive one. So we're on path to reconciliation, um, and that's positive. The other thing is she's experienced um, or she's expressed a confidence in me and a support for me and uh, a love for me regardless of what happens with our relationship. There's, there's no promises there. There's no guarantees there. But that feeling of love and support from her is heartwarming. Um, because it's not just that I have a love for her. I have a tremendous respect for her. She's um, just an amazing lady. And so for her to have that, um, for her to have that incredibly positive uh, outlook and for her to give me that positive feedback and kind of reinforce what I'm feeling about myself is is just really huge. Um, and so that's kind of made it easier to keep doing the to keep doing the the telling on myself because instead of punishing me for it, she's asking me about it and saying why is that more painful? Um, we had a we had a pretty um, intense texting session last night. 
kind of about, she was asking how I was feeling about being here. And I was just honest with her. Um, I have, it's, it's a very split feeling. Um, it's kind of weird. And so rather than, and, and previously, I would have lied my socks off about that. I would have said, oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. You know, I'm really happy, whatever. But that's not the case. And so lying to myself about it, lying to her about it doesn't help anything. Um, it's only when we can talk about it and we can, I can really feel that connection. And it's, it's very unsettling. Um, it's because um, I don't know what the outcome's going to be and I can't control it. I can't manage it. Um, I'd love to, but I, I can't. And so recognizing that and just being honest and knowing that I still have things I'm going to be grateful for. I'm still going to have my friends. I still have that little boy in there that's going to love me no matter what. Um, that's the stuff that matters. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the growth that you have made, you can tell that you really, you have a set structure that now is going to help to guide you. And it's also going to help to guide her. And let's face it, we all know you can't control how she feels or what she is willing to do. But if you show up to be the best person that you can be, it certainly increases your chances that you will have known you've done everything possible to secure your relationship and, you know, be the person that you want to be. So now i got to ask you, because obviously you spent a lot of time with your program. You're doing 90 meetings in 90 days. And where are you right now in terms of the 90 and 90? I'd, I'd have to look at my sheet to tell you where I'm at. I know I've hit at least okay. one a day since I've been back, and I might be a little ahead of track. Okay. And then you spent lots of time creating these templates to make it easy for you and also easy for for her. You um, are doing the Personal Craziness Index, and you got that directly out of one of my favorite books, Facing the Shadow, um, it's a workbook for anybody who's listening. It's a wonderful workbook that helps take you through, are you really a sex addict? If you are, what are the reasons? What are your excuses? What are the lies you've told yourself? And it just step-by-step step helps you to get through the denial, understand the sexual addiction, and move towards healthy recovery. And, and what did you like most about Facing the Shadows? I think the the whole self-reflective part of it, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think really, um, and then the other thing was kind of focusing on, so at first you focus on the problem, but really then after that you focus on what are the causes of the problem and you focus on the solution. So, um, you know, what are the things that tell me I'm leading in the wrong direction? What can I do about them? Um, you know, what, what, what did my addiction look like and how, so if I think about the core things I thought about myself and kind of what are my impaired thoughts, 
And then how did I act about those? Standing that and understanding that those are impaired thoughts. Those core beliefs were faulty. Um, that I really am, you know, I, I, I am a complete person. Um, I am worthy of love just like anybody else. Yes, my childhood might have sucked, but at least I made it through it. And I do have people that care about me and that I can care about me. That's probably the, that's probably the biggest thing I got out of facing the shadow was that understanding kind of, you know, how did this happen and, and what can I do about it? Well, I love that. And, you know, I would have to imagine that, you know, you were probably working with a skilled therapist and, and when you found out that your next step was to go into treatment, I suspect you had to be a bit nervous about that. Tell the listening audience what you thought about going into a treatment center, what it was like when you were there, and how do you feel about it now that you're several weeks away from it? Sure. So, um Going in, I had this very split kind of feeling. Part of me was excited to get a jump start because the way I really thought about it was this is a way to really jump start my recovery um, and to, and to really understand what recovery looks like and to be really serious about it. The other part of that was a lot of fear. Um, you know, how's this going to go? Um, what am I going to encounter? What's this going to be like? Um, I just had no idea. And so the fear of the unknown was huge. And as I mentioned, when I got there, one of the other things that was great about this particular program, because the patients are the only people that are with themselves um, 24-7, half of the recovery, half the program is really based on on peer-to-peer support. And the brotherhood that developed, and it's an all-male, so I can say brotherhood, the brotherhood spirit that developed between those of us that were there, the bonds are just incredible. Um, And there's no hiding because you are with these people 24-7. And they're people just like me. Um, You know, they're, they're professional. They're smart. They're caring. They've made mistakes. Uh, we've all had traumatic events happen to us. Um, and so, but there's this shared learning that occurs during that. And one of the other things that I was fortunate enough to experience during my inpatient was uh, alumni from the program had come back. And the alumni had been gone anywhere from three months to four years from the program. And all of them virtually had some kind of a slip, and but they'd recovered from the slip. And so the slips, some of them were really bad and some of them weren't as, weren't as much. But the idea that, you know, you can make mistakes and that mistakes happen, we're not perfect, and it's okay to not be perfect, um, that was really huge. And then just the whole, um, you know, the, the, the folks that work at these places, they're there because they want to be. They're there because they care. And uh, yeah, that, you, that also was really huge. Well, you've had top-notch 
people. I, I mean, clearly you did. You you looked at the programs out there, and there are many good programs out there, but you decided that you really thought that this treatment center offered you the greatest variety and probably the biggest bang for your buck. And so I would encourage anybody who's thinking about a treatment center to do your research, see what fits you, and know that you're going to come out with a lot of great ideas like Bill did. And so, Bill, I want to thank you again for sharing all your wisdom and your expertise. Is there anything you want to to say to our group as we begin to end the show? Sure. I think the, the one thing I would say is, be honest with yourself. Um, the, the, the easiest thing to do is to lie to yourself, and the greatest thing you can do is be truthful to yourself. Um, we all have issues. Uh, we all have things we have to overcome. And if one person could do it, any of us can do it. Be true to yourself. I love that. And, and, Bill, I wish you ongoing success. I want to remind my listening audience, if you want to get a hold of Bill, you can email him at billw.recovery at gmail.com. And he'd be happy to share his strength, hope, and recovery with you, too, if you want to see some of the templates or you want to hear more about what he's doing Bill, thanks again for you um, being able to share this and your willingness to pay it forward. Appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Okay. You have a great day. And just remember, Bill, I always say this, there will only be one of you at all times, so I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be you. Thank you, and uh, I will. Okay, talk to you later. All right, good night. Bye. And that was Bill, and he has obviously shared his wisdom, his strength, his hope, and his recovery. And we so appreciate that. Again, you can get a hold of him at billw.recovery at gmail.com. And I really appreciate all of you listening. I know you want those tools. Don't hesitate to contact him and find out more about them. We'll see you next week for another Sex Help with Carol the Coach show. And don't forget to go to my um, YouTube videos. They have special strengths, um, special skill sets for addicts. I just did one this week. And for partners who are experiencing partner trauma and just want to know how to navigate through this whole thing. We'll talk to you next week, and until then, I'll say to you what I said to Bill. There will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Have a great week.